0: Hello and welcome to The Glide TV Recap Season 2 where we are recapping all episodes of The Golden Girls. Today, we are on Season 1, Episode 21, Flu Attack. This episode aired on March 1st 1986. So what other interesting events happened on March 1st? Well, in 1516... Printing is completed of Erasmus's Novum Instrumentum Omni, the first publication of the New Testament of the Christian Bible in Greek in 1562 the bloodbath at Vassy occurs the first event in the wars of religion in 1692 Sarah Good Sarah Osborne and Tituba are west are arrested for witchcraft in Salem Massachusetts In 1780, Pennsylvania becomes the first United States state to abolish slavery, which only applies to newborns. In 1790, the first U.S. Census is authorized. In 1847, Michigan becomes the first English speaking jurisdiction to abolish the death penalty. In 1864, Rebecca Lee becomes the first black woman to receive a medical degree. In 1875, U.S. Congress passes the Civil Rights Act. This would later be invalidated by the United States Supreme Court in 1883. In 1890, the first United States edition of Sherlock Holmes is published. In 1896, Henri Becquerel discovers radioactivity. In 1912, Isabella Goodwin is appointed the first female detective in New York City. In 1932, the Lindbergh baby is kidnapped. In 1941, Captain America Created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, first appears in comic book form, published by then-Timely Comics. In 1977, Bank of America adopts the name Visa for its credit cards. In 2002, Spain adopts the euro as its form of currency. In 2006, Wikipedia reaches its one-millionth article, one about the Jordan Hill Railway Station. and our most recent event on March 1st of 2018, the early evident, earliest evidence for figural tattoos of a bull and a sheep on two naturally mummified bodies from Egypt's pre-dynastic period, dating to around somewhere between 3351 and 3017 BCE, is published. So, what happens in this episode of the Golden Girls?
1: <clears throat> Alrighty. I've got this title marked down as the flu. So, okay. And you have Flu Attacker.
0: I think that's what it was called
1: on the DVD. Okay. Or on IMDb or something. Alrighty. Well, we begin this episode in the kitchen. Uh, Sophia is measuring Dorothy, uh, it looks like with a yardstick. Uh, it's. <laughs> Kind of a weird thing to measure her with, but Sophia tells her to quit slouching. That Dorothy is trying to pretend she is not tall. Uh, Dorothy doesn't think she slouches. Sophia says she has has, (coughs) ever since she changed schools in fourth grade and the kids thought she was the substitute teacher. Wow, she must've looked really old too then. Uh, Blanche enters and she is quite happy. Yes, she broke down and bought the dress that she had been eyeing for a whole month. Uh, Dorothy says she thought Blanche was going to wear the same silk one that she wore to last year's banquet. Oh, that's our first clue of what this is about. Blanche says she changed her mind as too many people would have recognized it as it is such a stunning shade of green. Sophia gets in a few shots about the dress and Blanche. Yes, she does. We learn Sophia doesn't have a date for the banquet. Uh, Blanche also does not have a date. Blanche doesn't have a date because she doesn't know which one of her many suitors she should flatter with an invitation. Oh, yes. Oh, after all, this banquet is, after all, this banquet is the social event of the season. Uh, Blanche says she hasn't had to break so many hearts since Daddy tore down the treehouse. Okay. Rose enters the kitchen area and asks him if anyone knows where the aspirin is. Dorothy responds, buffered, time-release, or synthetic? And Rose answers, "Uh, time-release, I guess. Then Dorothy responds, capsule, tablet, or liquid? Boy. Many, many ways of getting aspirin, apparently. Sophia says not to take the one with the childproof cap. You may die before you get it open. We learn that Rose is kind of achy, and we get many kinds of achy she could be. I'm not going through all those. Then we get a discussion of maybe Rose is just catching a cold and how it may spread. Dorothy tends to be anemic, and Sophia says she is also a hypochondriac. Rose sneezes, Dorothy is afraid of catching it. Ro says they will all be at that charity dinner. We learn that Blanche never gets sick. She treats her body like a temple. And Sophia replies, yeah, open to everyone, day or night. Now just a side note here in this, the scene we just witnessed, we got many, many good shots of the kitchen and it appeared to be quite brighter than normal. I mean, it was well lit. In the next scene, we see all three girls sitting on the couch in the living room, and they all have a cold. The opening scene reminds us of those three famous monkeys. As Blanche has her eyes covered, which would be see no evil, Dorothy sitting next to her has her ears covered, which is hear no evil, and Rose has her mouth and nose covered for speak no evil. Uh, We get some small talk, Sophia enters and says she can't believe it. Vinnie Battaglia, the biggest jerk she knows, just turned down her invitation to the charity banquet. We learn she invited him because he is the only guy her age that doesn't wear his pants up to his chin. Now we get some small talk about wearing pants up to the chin. Doorbell rings and Sophia is going to answer it because she may get lucky, but if she was lucky, she would be shacking up with Cary Grant. It is a doctor, Dr. Richmond, and she is looking for Dorothy. Dorothy says they were expecting Dr. Harris, but Dr. Harris couldn't make it as his wife is having a baby. The doctor inspects Rose as Rose is telling the doctor her symptoms that she is having, a recurring dream where she is being chased by a giant Listerine bottle. Then Dorothy comes next and she has the same symptoms except in her dream it is a bottle, a scope chasing her. And we learned that doctor used to be a man. Yes, she was apparently just kidding those. It was some female doctor humor and that was while she was examining Blanche and the look on Blanche's face was priceless. She says they have the flu. It will take a good week to get over it, even though the banquet is Saturday night. They just have to wait it out. After giving advice to the girls, lots of fluids, plenty of rest, the doctor leaves. Rose can't believe it. If science can come up with cinnamon dental floss, why can't they cure the flu? When Blanche was little, her mama used to rub eucalyptus oil on their necks and then tie a sock around it to keep it warm. Rose's mother used to sing to them and make gingerbread men. Dorothy says she thinks that is what Michael DeBakey does before surgery. Okay, Sophia says in Sicily, they never went to the doctor. They went to the widow, Caravella. She had a cure for everything. She was best known for this green salve she made to treat ear infections. One day she gave a batch to Salvador, the village idiot. He misunderstood the directions and put it on his languini instead of in his ear. Turns out it wasn't a bad thing to do. The stuff tasted great and he decided to market it. But it didn't move too well as languini with ear salve on a menu doesn't look too appetizing. So he changed the name to pesto sauce. And then it was a great success. And actually, Sophia just made up that story. Okay, next we get Dorothy laying on the couch and Blanche enters wanting to know where her heating pad is. Uh, Discussion ensues about the heating pad and what other electrical appliances might be under her blanket. Sophia enters wanting to finish Dorothy's dress for Saturday. Dorothy says that none of them will be good by Saturday, which is what the doctor told them, so. Rose enters saying she has found her folk remedy book. It has a cure for everything. We get a story about Rose's cousin Dennis, who at age 16 just happened to get his sideburns caught in the hay baler. And Blanche and Dorothy stop her right there. Stop, stop, stop. Some small talk on why Rose is so happy. Rose's book has a wonderful recipe for hot toddy. Rose shares her cup of hot toddy with Dorothy. Um so You're not supposed to share stuff when you got the flu, but Rose is quite happy. Blanche wants to watch Another World, which is a soap opera that Rue McClanahan, who plays Blanche, actually played on as an actress in the early 70s, so kind of neat there. Dorothy and Blanche argue over what they are going to watch. Rose says they don't need to watch TV, they can play cards, listen to records, or bake cookies. Blanche says it is bad enough that they have to miss the banquet, but do they have to participate in a Girl Scout jamboree? Ah, the three girls are very mad at each other, and as Sophia enters the living room, stating she has a date, the three girls hastily retreat to their bedrooms, which are all down the same hallway, the one there by the kitchen, and we distinctly hear three doors slam shut. The next scene starts in the kitchen, and all three girls are still mad at each other. Blanche wants to know which one has been dipping into her Vicks Vapor Rub. Rose did because Blanche lost the pre-measured cup off her NyQuil. But Dorothy actually took the cup because she feels lousy and being mean to Rose makes her feel better. Uh, there's more meanness to go around then it is too mean all at once and oh, they all decide they need to be nicer to each other. And they have a group hug as Sophia enters and tells them to knock it off as the neighbors will get the wrong ideal. Ah, Sophia called and told them to cancel the reservations for the three girls, though she thinks one of them may have won the big award. Rose says, you mean the best friend of the Friends of Good Health Award? Oh, they think Rose may have won the award as she took part in the walkathon. thon the bike a and the telethon, and the marathon. Uh, Blanche could win, too, for all she did. Dorothy could win. They've all done so much. Uh, and, of course, we haven't seen very much of what they've done. Rose thinks she has won, so she is going to try and go. She will call her date. All three girls decide they are going as any of them could win. Dorothy asks Sophia if Sophia thinks that Dorothy can win, and Sophia says, Absolutely. As long as they don't add a swimsuit competition. Uh, next scene is at the banquet. Rose is sneezing. Dorothy has a huge sneeze. Rose's date offers her a sucret. and Rose says she is still sucking on a Smith brothers. Blanche enters and sits at the table. Boy, there is plenty of glitzy attire at this uh, banquet. Sophia enters with her date, Raoul, who is about three feet taller than Sophia and about 40 years younger. Uh, Raoul owns the flower shop next to the dog track. Apparently Sophia won big yesterday and she'd treat herself and rented him a tuxedo. Ah, uh, Blanche goes and gets her date. He is a rider and apparently the most exciting rider to come along since Mr. Norman Mailer. Uh, Blanche tells a story of meeting him in the park, and they were inseparable for the last week, though she was at home with the flu for the week. So anyway, we find out he is a waiter at that very same banquet. Apparently Blanche paid him $25 to sit there and be her date. Blanche still throws in a dig at the other two girls, of course. The banquet continues. Dorothy's date is telling a story that nobody enjoys except him. Then we get the ceremonies, yes, they are going to announce the winner of the award. But first, Don Johnson from Miami Vice will be unable to attend this banquet, but the producers of the show sent over the clothes that he was supposed to wear, which happened to be the same ones he wears on the show. The winner of the award is announced. Of course, it is (coughs) Sophia. She gives a rousing speech and has to show off her date. And at the end of this episode, the girls do make
0: up. So, what interesting things do the girls reference throughout this episode? Well, of course, they bring up aspirin, which we know as a pain relief medication. Um, now, I could tell you all about you know the history of of aspirin and the weird role it actually plays in World War One, but um we don't we're not gonna spend dime on that today. Uh so uh Cary Grant, uh he was an actor in the forties primarily uh who was in some movies that were popular apparently. Um like, let's see here. Um, well, I haven't heard of most of these. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> at least, and only angels have wings. Uh, for, um, let's see, um, Oh, what other of these do I have I heard of? Um to catch a thief he's in. Oh, okay. North by northwest. And that's basically it. Um so, as far as I'm concerned, that's basically it. Uh but he was an actor of the like 40s. Uh Listerine, which is a mouthwash uh brand Uh, that was originally Listerine as a company was first introduced and as a product was first made in 1879. Um, Now, at the time, it was used as a surgical antiseptic, uh, but after they kind of pretty much uh, lost their license to make it, uh, they decided to market to dentists as an oral care product and uh, was first introduced as a over-the-counter mouthwash in 1914, Uh, and they also, uh, for a brief time, they also manufactured Listerine cigarettes for a while. Uh, So that, I just saw that scrolling down the Wikipedia page. Uh But also, up until about the mid-70s, Listerine was marketed as a cold and sore throat remedy. Uh, But uh, in the mid-70s, the FTC ruled that uh, Listerine was not effective at soothing either of those symptoms, so therefore cannot be marketed as such. Uh, so that is briefly Listerine. Scope, uh, is another mouthwash. Uh, was introduced in nineteen sixty six, uh, and has been mostly marketed as the better tasting alternative to Listerine. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 its entire Wikipedia page is that one paragraph I just told you. Hmm. Um, cinnamon dental floss I couldn't find like I was trying to find a like when was cinnamon dental floss introduced I couldn't find (laughs) anything about that but it seemed to be like the way it's written in this episode it seems to be something that must have been relatively new at the time apparently Uh, but you know floss is floss I don't really think I need to explain that much okay Uh, eucalyptus oil uh, which is the generic name for distilled oil of the leaf of the eucalyptus, uh, of course, which is a genus of from the uh, Myrticea plant family. Well, of uh, course. Which is native to Australia, but is cultivated worldwide. Now, eucalyptus oil does have a history of wide application as a pharmaceutical, an antiseptic, a bug repellent, a food flavoring, a fragrance, and other industrial uses. Uh, The leaves are of selected eucalyptus species are steam distilled to extract their oil. Uh, So it has been it is used uh, in pharmaceuticals uh, mostly as a flu and cold remedy in products like cough drops, throat lozenges, ointments, and inhalants. Uh, Let's see. It is used as an insect repellent as well. Uh, It's used in flavoring uh, at roughly two thousandths of a percentage point in various products, including various baked goods, confectionaries, meat products, and beverages. Uh, It is also used in uh, different gum products, mostly peppermint and strawberry gums uh to give it their distinctive flavors uh so that's eucalyptus oil pretty much uh now michael debakey uh was a surgeon a heart surgeon uh who was also the chancellor emeritus of the Baylor College of Medicine and the director of the Methodist Debakey Heart and Vascular Center um So apparently he was just, for some reason, a very famous surgeon, uh, for some reason. Um, Oh, he basically helped make open-heart surgery possible through his invention of the roller pump to provide continuous blood flow during operations. Oh, boy. Uh, He was awarded a Congressional Gold Medal... Has been ducted into the Healthcare Hall of Fame as well. Okay. Uh, pesto sauce. Now, uh, pesto sauce, I was trying to figure out okay, so when was this kind of, you know, first marketed or first introduced? Well, uh, as far as I could find, now pesto is mostly thought to have two predecessors in ancient times going as far back as the Roman Empire, uh, the early Roman Empire, because if you get to the late Roman Empire, it's not super far back. Uh, But the early Roman Empire, uh, now the ancient Romans used to eat a similar paste called moritum, which was made by crushing garlic, salt, cheese, herbs, olive oil, and vinegar together. Sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. Uh, the use of this paste in the Roman cuisine is mentioned in the Appendix Virgalania, a ancient collection of poems where the author dwells on the details about the preparation of moritum. During the Middle Ages, a popular sauce in the Genoan cuisine was agliata, which was basically a mash of garlic and walnuts, as garlic was a staple in the nutrition of Ligurians, especially for the seafaring Peoples. Now, the introduction of basil, the main ingredient of modern pesto sauce, occurred in more recent times and is mostly first documented only in the mid-19th century when gastronom- gastronomist Giovanni Battista Ratto published his book La Quinceira Genovese in 1863. Quote, Take a clove of garlic basil, or when that is lacking, Marjoram and parsley, grated Dutch and Parmigiano cheese, and mix them with pine nuts. Crush it all together in a mortar with a little butter until reduced to a paste. Then dissolve it with good and abundant oil. Lasagna and trophy are dressed with this mash, made more liquid by adding a little hot water without salt. Although likely originating from and being domesticated in India, Basil took the firmest root in the regions of Liguria, Italy, and Provence, France. It was abundant in this part of Italy, though only when in season, which is why marjoram and parsley are suggested as alternatives when basil is lacking. Ratto also mentions Dutch cheese, formaggio olandese, instead of pecorino sardo, since uh, northern European cheeses were actually quite common in Genoa at the time, thanks to the centuries-long commercial trades of the Maritime Republic of Genoa. Uh, This recipe for pesto alla Genovese was often revised in the following years. A noted revision by Emmanuel Rossi occurred in 1865, only a couple of years after Ratto's Quinciera, and it shortly became a staple in the Ligurian culinary tradition, with each family often featuring its own pesto recipe with slight differences in traditional ingredients this is the main reason why pesto recipes often differ from each other dependent upon your source. Uh, in 1944, the New York Times mentioned an imported canned pesto paste. In 1946, Sunset Magazine published a pesto recipe by Angela Pellegrini, but pesto sauce pretty much did not become popular in North America until the 1980s and 90s. Now, a modern pesto sauce... Uh, you know obviously it depends upon where you're getting it from or what you're making it where you're getting your recipe from of course but traditionally in a modern pesto sauce it's going to be prepared in a marble mortar with a wooden pestle pretty standard anyone who's used to making guacamole you're familiar with the tools Uh, first garlic and pine nuts are placed in the mortar and reduced to a cream Then the washed and dried basil leaves are added with coarse salt and ground to a creamy consistency. Only then is a mix of parmigiano, reggiano, and pecorino cheeses added. Uh, To help incorporate the cheese, a little extra virgin olive oil is added. In a tight jar or simply an airtight plastic container covered by a layer of extra virgin olive oil, uh, pesto can last in the refrigerator up to a week or can be frozen for even longer usage. Uh, so, pesto is basically nuts, garlic, and basil, pretty much, with some cheeses thrown in there, too. Mm, okay. So, that's pesto sauce. Um, a hot toddy uh, is, of course, a cocktail. Uh, a mixture typically of whiskey, but you could use any other spirit if you're so inclined to do so. Hot water and honey or sugar. In some other recipes, or a Canadian hot toddy would usually use maple syrup instead of honey or sugar. Additional ingredients such as cloves, lemon, slice or zest, or cinnamon in either stick or ground form are often also added. The word toddy comes from the toddy drink of India, produced by fermenting the sap of palm trees. Its earliest known use was to mean a beverage made of alcoholic liquor with hot water, sugar, and spices is from 1786. However, a few other sources credit Robert Bentley Todd for his prescription of a hot drink of brandy, canella, which is white cinnamon, sugar, syrup, and water. Uh, Another World, as you already told us, was a soap opera that aired... Uh, on NBC from May of 1964 to June of 1999. A Girl Scout Jamboree is simply a large gathering of Scouts, typically at a national or international level. The first World Scout Jamboree was held in 1920 and was hosted by the United Kingdom. Since then, there have been 23 other World Scout Jamborees hosted in various countries, generally every four years. The 24th World Scout Jamboree is to be held in North America here in 2019, if you want to go. Woohoo! Yes. Yes. Uh, so that is, we could also get into a big, long language discussion of the origin of the word jamboree, but that's not really relevant to this discussion, but... That's a Girl Scout Jamboree. Vicks Vaporub uh, is a mentholated topical ointment uh, first sold in 1905 uh, to, you know, and it's used to relieve chest congestion is the common use of it. Now, they bring up sucretes. Uh, The only thing I can find on sucret uh, is that it is, of course, pretty much pure diaclidine. So... Uh, Dyclonine is an oral anesthetic uh, that is the pretty much sole ingredient of sucretes, which is an over-the-counter throat lozenge. It is also found in some varieties of the sepulchol sore throat spray. It is a local anesthetic used topically as the hydrochloride salt. Now um, sucretes were first introduced in Baltimore in 1932. But in 1966, the FTC ordered the then-owner of Sucret's brand, Merck Company, to discontinue their false advertising claims of germ-killing and pain-relieving properties for its Sucret and children's Sucret's lines. In 1977, it was sold. Um, eventually, in 1994, they switched from a metal container to a plastic container uh, And eventually stopped production in 2000, though. In 2011, uh, they did reintroduce their product and reintroduce the uh, metal container uh, due to popular demand and to bank on old people nostalgia for the products. Um, The Smiths Brothers is a cough drop brand uh, largely credited as the makers of the first cough drops produced and advertised in the United States, becoming one of the most famous brands in the country during its heyday. Um so, yeah, uh, the brand eventually was bought in uh so when they be when were they introduced? Um Let's see. Um a cough drop recipe. Okay, so the first Smith's Brothers cough drops were introduced in 1852. Uh, and then eventually in 1963, uh, the brand was bought by a company, which was then brought, uh, bought by another uh, company, and so on and so forth, uh, until eventually in 2016. The brand folded due to declining sales, though they remain available on some retail shelves and online sources due to previously purchased unexpired back stock. Uh, Although, it did attempt a comeback in 2017. uh, And the homepage of the company website, the Cough Drop Flavors Honey Lemon Wild Cherry, and warm apple pie are currently being offered again in the form of packets filled with sealed drops, though the flavors black licorice and menthol eucalyptus are not yet available for purchase again. Uh, Norman Mailer uh, was a novelist, journalist, essayist, playwright, filmmaker, actor, and liberal political activist. Uh, His novel, The Naked and the Dead, was published in 1948, which brought him renown. His 1968 nonfiction novel, Armies of the Night, won the Pulitzer for nonfiction, as well as the National Book Award of the same year. But his best-known work is widely considered to be the Executioner's Song. The 1979 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, In over six decades of work, Mailer had 11 best-selling books in each of the seven decades after the conclusion of World War II, more than any other post-World War II American writer. Along with Truman Capote, Joan Didion, Hunter S. Thompson, and Tom Wolfe, Mailer is considered an innovator of creative nonfiction, a genre sometimes called new journalism, which uses the style and devices of literary fiction in fact-based journalism. Mailer was also known for his essays, the most famous and reprinted of which is The White Negro. That does not sound like something that is good. Um, <laughs> okay. He was a cultural commentator and critic, expressing his views through his novels, journalism, essays, and frequent media appearances. In 1955, Mailer and three others founded The Village Voice, an arts and politics-oriented weekly newspaper distributed in Greenwich Village. In 1960, he was convicted of assault and served a three-year probation after stabbing his wife, Adele, nearly to death. Uh, in 1969, he also ran an unsuccessful campaign for the mayor of New York. While principally known as a novelist and journalist, Mailer was not afraid to bend genres and venture outside his comfort zone. He lived a life that seemed to embody an idea that echoes throughout his work. This is the Wikipedia page, not my own assessment here. Uh, Quote, there was that law of life so cruel and so just that one must grow or else pay more for remaining the same. Mailer's work in modern times has seen a rather drastic historical revision for his wildly unpopular characterizations of sex as a pure power dynamic exchange. That's Norman Mailer. Uh, that's all of our cultural reference. Well, Don Johnson and Miami Vice we've discussed before. Um, some fashion notes. Now, I know this is the 80s, uh, you know, and it's on television, so they had to, but the girls having full faces of makeup on while they're sick is just ridiculously illogical. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, there at that bake one, at the banquet, there are a lot of sparkly sequin dresses that I do not think are at all a good look. At all.
1: It's very very glitzy, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, We have, of course, quite a few side characters in this episode. Uh, Dr. Richmond, uh, who is played by Sharon Spellman, uh, who I thought I saw something you might know her from, but I might be wrong. I think I am wrong on that. Uh, So she's pretty much most known for uh, her role on the show Angie, uh, the show The Rockford Files, television show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and her appearance in the 1988 version of The Blob as Mrs. Penny. Uh, Rose's date for The Banquet is played by William Court, uh, who is most known for his uh, appearances in films such as Heathers, Ghost, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and Dear Heart. He also made four appearances on the television show Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as headmaster Wallace Thorvald. Uh, so, I don't... Was there anything else, of him that I saw that I thought was interesting? No, that must be the, some of the next ones. Um, So, Dorothy's Date is played by Ray Reinhart, uh, who is known for his roles on the television show Star Trek The Next Generation as Admiral Aaron, his role on Star Trek Voyager as Tolan Wren, and his appearances in the films Time After Time, and the disaster of a movie known as The Hunt for Red October. Uh, Raul, Sophia's date, is played by Marcelo Tubert. I believe is he- well. That's probably that's that would be if he was French. I'm guessing it's Marcelo Tubert. Tubert probably. I don't. I don't know. If it was French, it'd be Tubert. I'm sure of that. But I don't know. Anywho, um, Marcelo Tubert is what I'm going with. Um, so he's most known for his appearances on Star Trek: The Next Generation as a cost Jared. Uh, over work in Hellsing Ultimate, an animated show. He appears in the G.I. Joe Retaliation film, as well as in a couple episodes of Jane the Virgin. But also, uh, he has a lot of gaming credits. He, prov- he does a lot of voice work for games. Uh, most notably, I would say... Uh, he provides voices for some of the splicers in Bioshock and Bioshock Two, as well. Uh, also, he's like in World of Warcraft and the Kill Switch game and whatnot. He's he does he's done a lot of stuff. He's in Spyro Year of the Dragon. I think that's Spyro Three, uh, Spyro Two. I mean, he's he does a lot of of uh, gaming voice work. Uh. Tommy Cochran, the waiter slash Blanche's sort of date for a minute, yes. is played by Tony Carrero, uh, who is most known for his appearances in the Jim Carrey vehicle Liar Liar, Lethal Weapon 2, a television show called Doctor Doctor, and I believe a film called Deadly Games. Uh, and our last uh last two side characters. Uh the other waiter. Played by Dom Herrera, uh, most known for his appearances in films such as The Big Lebowski, where he plays Tony the Chauffeur, and the animated film Barnyard. Uh, also, he appears in Seinfeld for an episode, and I don't know what this is, but something called Captain Simeon and the Space Force, I think. Woo-hoo. And the Space... Okay. Something. Uh, I really don't know what, but... Oh, Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. Ooh. Uh, which is a television show from 1996 that um, apparently did not do very well. Here's uh, <laughs> it, it aired like three episodes. Oh, man. What a shame. Um, maybe. I don't know. It does not look like it lasted very long. Such a great title. Uh, and the host of the banquet in this episode is played by Sylvana. Gallardo, uh, most known for his, her film appearances in films such as Centennial, Death Wish 2, and A Walk in the Clouds. You may personally know her from her appearance in the FMV video game Tex Murphy Overseer. Okay. Were you not into the Tex Murphy no. uh, detective games? No. No, that wasn't one of the detective games you liked no. in 98? No. Okay, well she's in the uh, Full motion video sequences of that game Oh wow um, No new sex partners As far as I could tell so our tally stand Blanche 8, Dorothy 4, Rose 4, Sophia 1 And two continuity notes We have another mistake here When Blanche goes down that hallway to the right to her bedroom Though her bedroom's on the other side of the house uh, And The Best Friend of the Year Award Banquet Is an annual event Although I don't recall it ever being mentioned again in future seasons, but it's established as an annual event that they apparently attend every year in hopes of winning the Best Friend of the Year award. Uh, So that's all I've got for this episode.
1: Yes, okay. I do recall in the future they do have another award ceremony where like the deceased person wins the award for the best volunteer of the year or something Mm. i recall that but i don't i don't believe it was called the best friend of the friends (laughs) whatever this (laughs) award is called i mean uh anyway yes um i know you keep saying that blanche's bedroom is on the other hallway but so many times in this season, so far, she has gone down the right-hand side. I'm, I mean, that's her bedroom for me for now. Her bedroom is down there at the end of that hallway. Uh, uh, she has gone down there so many times. Uh, anyway, the kitchen observations I have in the, that first scene, like I said, is very bright. You can see very well in the kitchen. But everything's about the same as it was last episode. But in this one, I did notice that that big island, it actually has wheels on it. So they could roll that thing wherever they want to take it, I would think. But it sure seems to stay in the one spot there. Uh, Anyway, for me, all my counts, we have one Sicily-Italian story in this one, which turned out to be false, but most of her stories are. Um we have the girls mad at each other in this episode. Maybe due to the flu, but they are mad at each other. And we do have a mention of sports that Sophia went to the dog track for dog racing once again. My total counts three weddings or planned weddings, three physical abuses of rose, no St. Olaf stories, no cheesecakes eaten, two Sicily Italian stories, and seven. Sicily I tie in references. Two times the girls are mad at each other now. Um, eleven, we're up to eleven sports now. Six games and two Stanley Zabornak appearances. I thought this was a pretty good episode with good laughs throughout the entire episode. And I gave it a 79 out of 100.
0: Well, that will do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until the next episode, goodbye.